No team in the history of Texas high school football has won more games than the Highland Park Scots. Few coaches have won more games than head coach Randy Allen. With over 400 wins and four state championships, he combines a unique blend of fun and character and work ethic to create a program that is unlike any other in Texas. Today on Coaching to Change Lives, we are visiting with Randy Allen of the Highland Park Scots. Today's episode is being brought to you by the new book, Strong and Courageous, a parable for teens and parents of teens on how to overcome challenges, defeat discouragement, and discover God's purpose in your life. You were uniquely created for this time in history. Discover what that is and why with the new book, Strong and Courageous. For more information, go to strongandcourageousbook.com. That's strongandcourageousbook.com. All right, guys. Well, we are so excited to have Coach Allen with us here today at Highland Park. It's not often you get to talk to a coach that's got over 400 wins in his career. So, Coach Allen, I'm really honored and excited to be with you today, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Clint. It's uh, I'm excited to be on your podcast. Man, you've had such a, a neat career from your time in Abilene to now where you're at at Highland Park. You have a tremendous program, and I'd like to learn a little bit more about that today. Can you kind of share with me, you know, as you start in January, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, Clint, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, your dad is a big part of what I do. We went to Judson when I was at Abilene Cooper to watch him do his, uh, I don't know if it's rocket maker or what they call it, but (laughs) off-season training. And uh, what we do is uh, in January, we do a Scott maker. So I spend days in the meeting room talking to our players about what our culture's about and what our values are and what we're fixing to go through. We're going to go through some uh, very hard physical training and the purpose of it is that you're going to earn the right to be a Scott and you're going to create some unity and feeling like you earn the right to be a champion. And so we then start about a five station rotation and off season where uh, you got mats and jump ropes and running drills and uh, all of these things that I've seen uh, Judson, when your dad was there, we put them through the paces for two weeks, teaching them the, the exercises. And we expect the leaders, the seniors to be at the front of the line and to memorize the order of the exercises and call them out to their teammates. And then we work for a perfect day. And so the third week, if they get in a perfect day, is do things exactly right with 100% effort. And if you make a mistake, you can make up with it with enthusiasm more effort. Each coach has a thumbs up or thumbs down on their station. So at the end of practice, we do what we call the fourth quarter. We'll do five push-ups, five sit-ups, five up-downs, and five mountain climbers. And then uh, they'll be in a big circle, and each coach from each station will get up and give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And you know how it works. You know, for the first two or three times, they get thumbs down. And usually, you know, the first two coaches will give them a thumbs up so they'll get their hopes up. And then that day that you decide they're, they're going to get it because they put out that kind of effort you're looking for, the last coach will give them a thumbs up. And, and they run and they jump on each other and they celebrate. And it really creates a great unity between them, and it makes them feel like they've earned it. And uh, we give them a T-shirt that says, I survived Scott Maker. And uh, that's how we started. You know, that's the building block, the classroom and teaching what our values are and what our culture is about. 
And the second thing is making them feel like they've earned the right to be a Scott. Uh, and they're united together because they've gone through a very difficult training session together for three weeks and they've succeeded. You mentioned that you start off in the classroom. So are y'all in there for several days or a week or um, how long are, do you spend on that portion of your off season? I used to spend three days in the classroom with, I'd take part of the, you know, the upperclassmen first and then the the freshmen second, but I've gotten a PowerPoint down now to where I can do it one day and I'll have some video to go with it, you know, demonstrating, you know, looking at past players or some players who uh, have gone through Scott Maker and succeeded. I'll, I'll give them some video with that PowerPoint. Here's the thing that I've been able to do. I've been able to teach our six core values from the seventh grade through the 12th grade so that I have hand signals for things that represent our culture. So I don't have to spend as much time in the classroom explaining what our culture is. You know, the thumb in the chest is commitment. Twirling my fingers up in the air is enthusiasm. Uh, Shooting the gun is mental and physical toughness. The ring finger is teamwork. The little finger is integrity. And then the fist is tradition. So I'll go down to the seventh grade and start teaching these core values and culture when they enter the seventh grade. I, I go to the eighth grade practice on Thursday afternoon, and I'll, I'll just ask the boy to volunteer to give me the six core values, and I tell our coaches to teach them, and then I put those six core values on a poster in the dressing room. I also put it on the steps as they walk up to the dressing room at the high school. So what I'm saying is, is that our players, they're ingrained in our culture, so I don't have to spend but one day in the classroom to explain to them what it's like, what it, what are our values, you know, what are we about, what is Scott Maker about, what are we going to get from it? You know, every Scott that's gone through our program uh, has had great success. What I hear you saying there, too, is so important, and you hear it as a common theme with great coaches in the state, is it's not a one-and-done thing. I mean, you start from when you get them as they're young all the way through their senior year. They're hearing a consistent philosophy on these are our values, and this is what makes a young man and this is what makes you a special part of our team so as you go through that when do y'all typically finish your scott maker are you about in mid-february now or the end of february or where are you at in the terms of the year well three weeks from the time we get back from christmas break i've got it on our calendar we got a perfect day on january 19th we had our football banquet the next day and that kind of works in, in our advantage because we've just gone through Scott Maker. We have our football banquet, then we switch gears and get into the rest of our offseason. So after you finish Scott Maker, what, what's kind of the next phase of your offseason? What do you move into after that? Well, we got Geno Pierce over here from Performance Course, and he gave us uh, five drills to do uh, in the indoor uh, as far as uh, speed and agility training, mats, and then we have – uh, half our players in the weight room. We've got enough uh, weights we can get about 100 players in the weight room and the other 100 are out on the indoor uh, doing the five agility drills. And we did that for about a month and a half. One thing about off-season you have to guard against is boredom. And so we're always trying to change up what we're doing in off-season as far as the drills we do to keep them from getting bored to keep things fresh. And let me tell you one thing that I started that really would, would help any coach out. I got tired of doing the same old same old in off season for so long 
that I, I wanted to do some competition. So what we do is after Scott Maker, we do a competition on Tuesday. And that's a day when I can get the football field because the soccer team plays at night. And we also have the indoor. So we can get 100, 200 guys doing some competition against each other. But the way we choose teams is I will uh, t- choose 24 seniors who I think have the potential to be leaders. We'll take them in a classroom and we'll give them a roster of everyone on the football team, including freshmen, and they'll pick teams and they'll try to pick the best athletes or the guys that they want to be on their team to, to win the competition. And what I tell them is that the winning team gets steaks and potatoes and the losing team gets uh, beanie weenies at Friday before spring training starts. <laughs> And I, you know, you talk to him about, you know, making a dollar contribution. You know, it really doesn't pay for the whole steak or the whole beans, but it it's just makes it fun. And then, and then we have, we call it the Big 12, that's six teams, and then the SEC is the six other. And they, they choose names for their teams, and then we compete in the tug of war, bench press. We put, you know, 135 pounds on the bench and see how many times they can bench it as a team. We'll do uh, aerial football. We'll do dodgeball. We'll do just fun activities with them, and but we'll keep score the winning teams, and we'll let every team compete against the other team. And then before spring training starts, we'll have our final competition. We have a big board with all the teams and the scores on the board, and, you know, they'll usually be two teams that are pretty close to being champions, and, and we'll let them compete that last competition day and then i'll put uh, tablecloths on these tables in in the stadium and i'll get nice silverware and get steaks delivered from dunston steakhouse and the winning team will get to eat uh, steaks and everybody else will have beanie weenies and they'll be (laughs) crock pots full of beanie weenies and uh you know these uh, paper plates for the rest of the guys and you know it's just fun but it it really adds uh it adds to your off season and it gives your kids something to have fun with. And I think it keeps them more focused on improving the other four days that you're doing lifting and, and agilities. So you do that every Tuesday, you said, is that the, is it the entire athletic period that y'all are doing your competitions on Tuesdays? Yesterday we did tug of war with the SEC while the big 12 did bench press. Tuesday before we might, I think we had the big 12 doing dodgeball while the, the SEC was doing aerial football for competition. It's something that the kids look forward to. And, and as they get out of eighth period, I'm meeting them as they come across the field and I'll say, Hey, today's competition day, do something great with your life. And I'll be, enthusiastic getting them ready you know and and, you know i want them to have fun you know it's so easy to get so into being competitive that sometimes you forget man these are these are young teenage boys and it's they need to be able to go out and have fun well you mentioned you get 24 guys that you think are going to be leaders for you Uh, that kind of leads to my next question of what do you do in the off season to really develop the guys that you think are going to be your leaders come your your season that fall well, at the end of every practice, we have a coach assigned to a character trait of a champion to talk to the team. And it's about a five-minute talk. And today, Darren Easton's going to talk about loyalty. Yesterday, uh, we had Michael Burt talk about encouragement. And the day before, 
we had Max Hossie talk about teamwork. So we'll have a topic each day that our coaches will talk to the team about. And I'll, I'll get them uh, to get on one knee, and I'll say to them, a straight spine, and they'll say an alert mind. And I'll say, you listen with your, and they'll say eyes. And so we want their eyes on the coach talking to them, and we want them with a straight back with feet flat on the ground. And we'll have coaches that will walk around the back to make sure that everybody's focused on who's speaking. And our coaches will talk to them each day. And then right before spring break, we'll elect what we call our player committee. So every senior will be on a ballot. And uh, the players will vote on 12 seniors to be on the player committee. And once I get the player committee back from spring break, I'll assign them a topic to talk to the team about. So just like our coaches have been talking to the team now, the player committee is doing an audition to be a captain by talking to the team about a character trait. I'll take our six core values of commitment, enthusiasm, mental and physical toughness, teamwork, integrity, and tradition. So those will be six topics that I'll assign. And so at the end of practice, uh, that player committee member knows that it's his, I'll give them a day that they're going to talk. So he'll talk to the team. And uh, at the end of when every player committee member, that's 12, has finished talking to the team, then we vote on captains. So I take those 12 player committee members, put their name on a, on a ballot, and then our team votes on the captains. And I'll have four, five, or six captains, depending on how the voting goes. I start off with four, but if I have a really close vote or a tie, I have put as many as six captains in our football program, we've got the first captains from the 1923 team listed, and we got every year that we, you know, every captain from every year uh, in our football program. The reason a captain is important, not only are they the guys that are going to speak at the team meetings on Thursday before the game, but their parents, especially their mothers, are going to be really important uh, in organizing the special things we do for our football program. And I can promise you there's 12 mothers that are waiting for a phone call the day that we vote for captains. So I take the, the captains into my office after I get the vote tally and I tell the team who the captains are. And I have them call their mothers from my office because I always like to hear that mother scream on the end of the phone when her son says, I'm <laughs> captain. And, uh, I, the next day, I meet with those captains, moms, and I have a notebook of how we're going to operate. You know, they're going to call me Coach Allen, and they're going to get my approval before they do anything. And, you know, I got a whole list of things I go over with the captains, moms, but they do our big fundraiser. They do the, you know, the decorations. They do the send-offs. They do uh, all of the T-shirts and caps and things that our players wear, our theme. Our captains come up with the theme, but the moms get the theme and then put it on T-shirts and all of that. And then we have a big fundraiser at one of our home games called the Bubba Fest. And we have a restaurant, a chicken restaurant called Bubba's. And Bubba's gives us discounts on food and we sell food and we have a silent auction that raises a lot of money that allows me to do things with the team that I couldn't do with our regular budget. Gordon Wood was told me, if you want something done, get the moms involved. But the dads, all the captain's dads also have a responsibility. And 
our games are on uh, streamed on TV and also radio. So they're responsible for selling the sponsorships to pay for the radio and TV broadcast of our games. So both the moms and the dads have big responsibility if their their sons are captains. I would argue there's no way you could have the success that you've had without being a master at getting families involved and making it a family atmosphere like you do there at Highland Park. So you vote on your captains right before spring break, you said? We vote on the player committee before spring break. and We get back from spring break. We give them a topic to talk to the team about. And when every player committee member has talked to the team, then we vote for captains. And so when does that election usually end up happening for you? We elect the player committee on March the 10th, and we elect our captains on uh, March the 30th, and I meet with captains' moms on March 31st. And then, so once your captains are elected, what what's their role on the team going through the rest of the offseason until you get out for the summer? Well, we meet and uh, do a book study. And so I'll take a book like uh, you went in the locker room first. I'll buy them a book, and then uh, I, I've outlined each chapter and got questions that they're to answer, and we'll study a book. We have a player committee retreat the first week of football season when we're in shorts and T-shirts. Uh, I'll take them to uh, – but Dave and Buster's, and we'll have somebody take us through the games, you know, whether it's shuffleboard or whether it's shooting basketballs or driving a race car. Uh, we'll spend about an hour just playing in Dave and Buster's. And then I have a room reserved, and I have a PowerPoint, and that's where we talk about team goals. And I'll assign each player committee member in a group of four. So there'll be like three groups of four. And I'll give them, you've got to answer these questions. Uh, you know, what are our goals? How are we going to get there? What are the challenges we're going to face? What's the date we want to reach our goals, et cetera. And they'll, they'll write those goals out. And then I'll assign the captains to make a PowerPoint presentation and after our last uh, preseason scrimmage on a Saturday, we'll have a team meeting, and the captains will present the goals for the year from that player committee retreat. So you do that early in the season, which is kind of leading me into what traditions do y'all have as you're entering the season? It sounds like it's that player retreat and then your captain's presentations. Do you do any kind of coaches retreat or anything with your coaches before you start the season? I have in years past, but – uh, what we do is I have a my camp, football camp, is after coaching school. So when we get back from coaching school, we ha- I have a football camp. And usually what I'm trying to do is to get as many of the entering ninth graders and eighth graders as I can to this camp. And uh, then I, our football coaches run that camp. Uh, from the 25th to the 28th. I mean, that's an important time for those coaches to develop a relationship with those young players who are going to be part of our freshman football team and part of our middle school football teams. And then the next week we have what we call players do a running camp and we have staff meetings. And our staff meetings are done in the mornings and we have every coach from, you know, every high school football coach and every middle school football coach. And I have an agenda that we'll go over and it starts with me just given the philosophy of our program and what our core values are. And then I'll 
let each position coach on the varsity get up and talk about their position. And uh, then I'll have uh, our guy that's in charge of video talk to the middle school coaches about what their scouting responsibilities are and uh, who's assigned to which games on our schedule. And then we'll hand out equipment in the afternoon. So we do our staff meetings in the morning and our players are doing what's called a running camp. And this, this has been happening long before I came here, but they'll, the captains will work the team out. So the varsity will show up and the captains will take them through a workout. And then uh, we'll hand out equipment in the afternoons. And then at the end of the week, I'll do a swim. And we have an auditorium on our campus. And, and uh, so the end of running camp is a, a swim party where we kind of celebrate and have fun together before we start football on uh, August the 8th. What do you do before a game? Is there anything? Do y'all have a team meeting? Do y'all watch highlight videos? What's your, what's, what are you trying to do to get your players mentally ready for their game on Friday night? We have a team meeting on Thursday. Each of our coaches will have an opportunity to talk to the team one Thursday before a game. So before the season ever gets started, I'll give them a calendar. And let's say the first game is against Marcus, and I'll have Coach Wells, and he'll be the speaker for that week. And Coach Wells is really good about making up poems and uh, about the game or that we're going to play. And it'll have a, they'll, each coach will talk, and they'll have a theme that relates to the game that we're going to play. Once our coaches – this is after practice on Thursday, and – Thursday, we do what we call kick the field, where we do situations and shorts and T-shirts, and then we go into the meeting room, and, and a coach talks to the team, and then all the coaches leave, and it's just the captains leading the team. And then the captains have a meeting with the team. I might mention that we uh, on, in that meeting on Thursday, we do give out helmet decals, and so our coach will call out every player's name and how many helmet decals they got in the game that they played on Friday. So we do that, and every time we call a player's name out and we say two, they get two claps. If we say they got four helmet decals, we'll give them four claps. So, you know, in our roster, you got 80 kids that you call their name out and you tell how many helmet decals what they've got. After we do that, then we leave. Our coaches leave, and then it's just the captains and the team. And I don't eavesdrop or anything. They just get in there, and they talk to each other about what they're going to do the next night. And then Fridays, like most schools, we do a pep rally, and we're seated on the gym floor. We do something unique. We have chants that we do. And the players, if we win the game, they we give them an apple as they lead the pep rally. And we have this framed apple that you can walk through that the cap, some of the football moms will hold as we leave the gym, and then they get an app. They walk to the front of the school, and they do this same chant they've been doing since I've been here, and that's 23 years, and they were probably doing it 23 years before I got here. But they'll do the chant in front of the school, and then they'll walk through the school and go to the cafeteria, do one more chant, and they go to their classes. The night of the game, we do what we call the Highlander March. And this has really been something that I started. When we built the indoor across the street from the stadium, it gave us the opportunity that after pregame warm-up, we could go to the indoor and talk to our players, and then the defense might do some run-throughs or something. The bagpipers and the drum corps are outside the indoor. We've got our JV players who are holding ropes with flags on them, and we've got 
parents and fans lined up like a victory line on either side. And this stretches about 50 yards from our indoor to Highlander Stadium. And about 7.20, we'll, I'll let the bagpipers know we're fixing to come through. So they'll start playing. And uh, the drum corps starts drumming, and then and then I'll come out, and then the captains will be behind me, and then the team, and we walk through that victory line, and parents are shouting encouragement and hitting our guys on the shoulder pads, and we'll walk onto the field, and that's been a really motivational thing that we do. And I'll just say this, we're 115 and 2 at home since I've been here. But that's been something that uh, I think that's really added. And, and I got this idea when I was at Ballinger High School. We were playing the number one team in the state, and we were behind at halftime. And we were at Sweetwater, Texas at the Mustang Bowl, and we were playing Littlefield. And, and uh, they had beaten us pretty good physically, and we were behind about 14 points at half. And I talked to our guys at halftime, and I couldn't get any response. And I told our coaches, I said, if we don't do something different, at least I don't think they're ready to play. They look like they've given up. You know, we had done everything we could at halftime, tried to get them motivated and fired up and give them some optimism that they could win the football game. What I did know is that our parents and fans had made a victory line from our dressing room to the Mustang Bowl, which was about 75 yards. And when our guys came out of the dressing room, these dads and moms and fans started hitting our guys on their shoulder pads and shouting encouragement to them. And by the time they got to the Mustang Bowl, their jaws were set, and they were in a great mental attitude to play some very physical football. We wound up winning that game in the last seconds, and I, I go back to that and tell our parents and student body how important it is that they they can make a difference in the football game because their energy and their encouragement will make our players play harder. So that's why I got that Highlander March going is because I wanted those fam those those moms and dads and fans and grandmoms and little kids to see our guys walk through that victory line and have the opportunity to encourage them to play hard. And so that victory line is right when they're leaving the indoor facility heading to the stadium for the game. Yeah. Is that that's when you have them do that. Right. And then the captains will go with the officials and do the flip and then we'll, you know we'll you know we'll run on the field when it gets time. What a what a incredible tradition and that's so unique to Highland Park, but I can only imagine the bagpipes, what that adds to that whole scene. That is just really, really neat to hear. So what a, what a great tradition. That's what you do to kind of get parents and moms and dads involved. So is there anything else y'all do unique to involve the parents? Well, we have a parent meeting in the spring. So after spring training, we'll have a meeting of our parents. And they that's when they sign up for, you know, I'm going to have a team defensive dinner at my house on this day you know all the parents are tables out there for them to have for parents to sign up on what responsibilities or what things i'm going to have at my house next football season and my wife always speaks at the first prayer meeting but i mean they have all these activities they do on game day they have dinners for our players the day before the game and so parents sign up for those responsibilities some moms will decorate the locker room but they they have that meeting in the spring to sign up for these different 
activities that they are going to do for our team to make it special. And then we have a preseason meeting uh, before we start football practice. I'll have a meeting with all the parents, and uh, we'll just kind of outline the season. I got a PowerPoint I go over. We'll let the trainer talk to them about hydrating and how we're going to take care of injuries. And I might talk to them. I mean, we used a different mouthpiece last year because it was supposed to help uh, eliminate some of our concussion problems. So we'll try to cover everything in that pre-season meeting with our parents. And what I'm trying to do is build up trust with the parents and the fact that I'm going to take care of your son and that I, I have his best interests at heart. I have a Ten Commandments for Highland Park parents that I go over. You know, don't live your life vicariously through your son. Always support your son's coach when when he comes home, and I, and I tell him this story. I tell him the story about when I was a uh, sophomore in high school at Abilene Cooper High School. Merrill Green was my head coach, and uh, we were scrimmaging against the, our JV team. And I was on the varsity, and I was running. One of the few sophomores who was on the varsity were well, my JV t- teammates. Those sophomores were on the JVs. They wanted to teach me a lesson. So Coach Green called 47F, which was power off tackle. I carried the ball, and, boy, they tackled me hard and gave me a Charlie horse in my thigh. So I was dragging my leg back to the huddle, and Coach Green said, 47F again. So I had to run it again, and they hit me even harder that time. And I'm dragging myself back to the huddle. I'm thinking, Coach Green's surely going to see that I'm hurt and take me out of this drill. He said, 47F, 47F. I probably ran that play about six, seven, eight times in a row, and I'm crying at the end. I go home, and I can't wait to tell my parents. And I, So after dinner, I said, Dad, you won't believe what that coach did. I carried the ball, and I'm hurt. He made me carry it again and again and again. And my dad, who had played football, knew the importance of backing the coach. He said, Randy, don't you realize what he's trying to do? And I said, no, Dad, I don't. He said, he's trying to make a football player out of it. And once he said that, I realized that Dad was going to back the coach and there wasn't any need to come home and complain about it. I just need to know that Coach Green had my best interest at heart and that if he was making it tough on me, it's to make me a better man. Well, four, five years later, I graduate from SMU and Coach Green hired me for my first coaching job. And uh, I tell that story to the parents because I want them to understand how important it is for parents to back the coach. And that sometimes parents want to understand why coaches do certain things. But if they trust you and believe that you have their son's best interests at heart, that they will back you when their son comes home, maybe one day after a tough practice and complains. That is so true, man. If your parents are supporting your coaches, it makes it easier for your coaches to speak into the lives of those kids. What a tremendous story. I'd love to see more on those Ten Commandments for parents. That that sounds like a tremendous tool to be able to use with your, your parents in those parent meetings. All right, so you've involved your parents. Y'all have your team meetings before games. You get them mentally right. You've got your walkthrough. As you enter the playoffs, is there anything you do different as you enter what we used to call the third season? The 2016, uh, I thought we had a chance to win the state championship. And we lost our last game of the season. And we shouldn't have. We got upset. And uh, so to make sure our guys, you know, forgot the, the regular season and got ready for the playoffs, we had a team meeting. I had ordered a, a jersey, a new jersey, for them to wear in the playoffs. And uh, they didn't know it. 
And while I was in the team meeting talking to them about, hey, th- th- would it matter if we were 9-1 and one or 10-0 and oh going to the playoffs? I mean, didn't everybody start off even though we have just as good a chance as anybody else to win it? You know, they all say yes, sir, we do. we do. But while I'm talking to the players, I had our coaches put these new jerseys in their lockers. And, of course, they're we're Under Armour, so they're very nice Under Armour jerseys, and, and they're different than their regular season jerseys. And I said, to make sure you know this is a different season, and this is a new season and we're starting over. I got something in our locker I want you to go see. So they go in that locker room and they see that new jersey and they put them on and they forgot all about last night when we got beat. And they start thinking about playoffs and who we're going to play the first round. That team went 6-0 and and won the state championship and started us on that road to winning three in a row. But I just get that new jersey as a way of symbolically letting them know that it's a new season and it's a special season. And we have a chance to win the state championship. We got to win six games in a row and, and we got to take one week at a time. Wow, that's a that, I've never heard that before and that's such a that's such a great way to refocus your kids cuz it can get to be a grind, you know, as you hit the playoffs and if you don't refocus and re-energize your guys at at some point they start to wear down. So y'all did. So that was the first time you did that was when you started your run of winning the state championship in 2016, 17 and 18. That right. is really cool. I I'm sure that's a tradition you carry now, isn't it? It is. It's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> you got to think ahead. You got to order those jerseys to get them in on time. But yeah, that that we continue to do that. Wow, what a what a great tradition. Tradition is passing on stories from one team to the next. You know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, tell stories about John Stephen Jones and Chandler Morris and Matthew Stafford and what those teams did to be great and all the little stories and the times that we had to come from behind to win. And that's what makes tradition. you got to pass those stories on from one team to the next. That is, and, and sharing those stories of how those kids competed. You know, you mentioned John Stephen Jones. I, I love the way that young man competed. He just played with every ounce of heart that he had. And you get that out of all your players. And do you feel like it's from the Scott Maker all the way through, the getting the parents involved, everything you do is your program, I'm assuming, is what leads to the way you're able to get so much out of your kids. Well, I, I think that is a big part of it. You know, I've had parents come up to me and tell me that their son loves our culture. And I, I want to say this about our community. Our guys are hard workers. They were hard workers when I got here because Coach Smith, Scott Smith was a coach prior to me, and he had that instilled in these players. I'm just saying that innately, when they're seventh graders, we tell them that they may not be the most talented, but they're going to outwork, put out more effort than our opponents, and that's the only way we can win. I do think that the culture builds a chance to be the best. In other words, in their minds, they believe they're the best. We we have won the most football games of any high school in the history of Texas high school football. And I put that up in a big graphic in our meeting room because we we play somebody that's really talented and really good. And I'll say, guys, I mean, we're the best football team that's ever played. We won more games than anybody's ever won. And that gives them confidence. That's how you get that right attitude. And that's one of the great things about high school sports is you can win with character and attitude, even when you're not as talented as the team you're lining up against. You do such a great job of pulling that out. 
Well, I've got two more questions for you, if you don't mind. We're all about coaching to change lives. This is obviously coaching to change lives, the podcast. What's one of your favorite stories about a kid that's come through your program? Well, I'm going to use Randy Sims, uh, maybe as as one of my stories. Randy played defensive end. He was I was a head baseball. I was a assistant football coach and head baseball coach at Bryan High School back in the seventies, and so this was my first coaching job. And I had a one of our assistant coaches ran the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and to raise money to send kids to summer conference, he would have a concession stand at the biking relays. That was our relay track meet. And uh, we had an opening. Somebody backed out at the last minute. And so Randy Sims said he'd go to this FCA conference in Estes Park, Colorado. Well, Randy Sims went to that that conference, and he heard Tom Landry and Roger Staubach and all the great players and coaches back in the days of the Cowboys. And uh, Randy committed his life to Christ at that conference and came back and man he was on fire for christ and 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 came to our fca meetings and he wound up graduating and going to austin college and uh, after graduating from austin college he was a fca staff member in arkansas oh one of the parts of the story i forgot to tell you was after he came back from that fca conference he wanted our coach Moore, who was the head of our fca to baptizing and uh they just went out in the country and found a t- somebody's tank and crawled over the barbed wire fence, and Coach went out there and dunked him and baptized him. But Randy wound up having a, a ministry called Worldview Academy where he went all over the United States and had camps to teach young people a Christian worldview between their senior year in high school and college. And, and uh, now he's a pastor in Midland. But he's a great example of a young man that, because a coach took time to raise money at a concession stand, took time to ask players to go to an FCA conference and set up the transportation. And, and once the coach got them that FCA conference, you know, they heard those great coaches talk and those great athletes, and his life changed. And his whole focus of his life changed. He, you know, was FCA staff member. He was uh, in the ministry. Uh, he was a good football player at Austin College and had a great experience in high school at Bryant High School. But if you were to ask him what made a difference in his life, he would say it was because Coach Moore took time to raise money to send me to an FCA conference in Estes Park, Colorado. Wow, what a great story. And that that's what it's all about, is these lives that are changed from being a part of athletics and being a part of a great program. Thank you for sharing that story. Well, my final question for you is, you've got a lot of young coaches that are getting into the profession and Sometimes they get in just because they love the game. But for whatever reason, as you well know, coaching can be wonderful at times and it can be difficult at times. What would be your advice to a young coach, a guy that's a first year, second year, third year coach that's really wanting to make it in this profession? Uh, Maybe he's a little discouraged or maybe he just needs to be challenged in a way. What would be your advice to these young coaches that are listening to this podcast? I tell young coaches to attach yourself to a winner. And now that that's hard to do, but you need to find a coach who you agree with his philosophy and you agree with the way he treats players. 
and uh, that's sometimes difficult. I was very fortunate to get hired by my former head coach, so I knew his philosophy, and I loved him, and I wanted to coach for him just like I wanted to play for him. You know, network and find that coach who you really think has the right philosophy, a philosophy that you want if you were to be the head coach. And then I think coaching, I think coaches are called to coach like preachers are called to preach. So I was always told, you know, if you could be happy doing anything else other than coaching, then you probably ought to do it. My, in my life, I wanted to coach, and I've never wanted to do anything else. And I think I think guys that get into coaching ought to get in for the right reasons, and that's to impact young people, just like you said, make an impact in young people's lives. And I think if that's the reason you get into it, then I think you can uh, absorb the 1-9 and nine seasons or the 0-10 seasons or uh, whatever it is you have to go through and coaching, but you have to make a commitment. And that commitment has to be to, to do the best thing for those young men that you're coaching. And then if you're married, then then your wife's got to look at your coaching job as a minister. And she's got to realize that all that time you're spending at work is like you're you're spending it to, to make those kids' lives better and make a difference in their lives. And she's got to believe in that ministry just like or that coaching uh, philosophy just as much as you do. I'm going to say this. Some of the best people I know are coaches' sons or coaches' daughters, coaches' families. We've just been so fortunate that most of the coaches, I mean, my wife and I just can hardly think of any coaches who've been divorced. Most of our coaching friends have stayed married and they're kids are great young men and young ladies and uh, I just can't think of another profession and I know there's some drawbacks and there's some tough times there's been some times to where I thought I made a bad decision going to Ballinger High School and being two and eight the first year Uh, but you know you just keep loving the kids and if you're doing what's right for the kids and you have the you know a good program they're going to get better, and they're going to – Jimmy Keeling told me this. If you take care of the kids, they're going to take care of you. Well, Coach Allen, thank you so much, and thank you for your wisdom and all that you do for those kids there at Highland Park and those families and all that you and Mrs. Allen have put into coaches and their families over the years. And I know I'm a beneficiary of that, just uh, being around you too, and so thankful for you guys. And thank you for taking the time to be here on the podcast today. Thank you, Clint. You're one of those coaches sons that I was <laughs> <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. Well, <laughs> I hope I get a chance to see you guys sometime soon. And um, please tell the rest of your family hello for me. All right, Clint. Thank you. Thank you, Coach Allen. Bye-bye. Bye.